Before I get into the sermon, uh, obviously you could tell something has changed up here. Uh, and I'll make a long story short. Um, hmm. <laughs> On Friday, Michaela and I, we were going to try a green color. We thought there was some green in the tile, but the green that we had chose was not going to work. So we was like, okay, got to go try with something else. And so we saw some brown, and so we decided to try a brown. Uh, and when we got it up on the wall, we were thinking, well, uh, well, I said to Michaela, is this starting to look like burnt orange to you? And so I was thinking in my mind, oh my goodness, if they don't fire me, they might kill me, <laughs> you know, because it's we're in Arkansas. Uh, though Ed, Ed might not mind it, so anyway. And then we, we finally decided, you know what, the best thing to do would just be to fix our mistake and make it the same color as the other walls. And so that is how we arrived here. Uh, that was a, a long two days, to say the least. Now, before we get into the text in Philippians in chapter 2, I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, usually, I, I have, you know, some kind of illustration before we get into the text, you know, to, to, so you can relate to what's going on in the text. But sometimes... I think preachers get too caught up in, oh, trying to find the best illustration to go with the text. And sometimes illustrations actually retract from the text and they distract you from what is going on in Scripture. So I'm going to do something a little different. Judy, could you put the text up on the screen? Okay. A little bit different. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read this text and I want you to just focus on what it says and what it means and then we'll get into the text. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, there are three main types of sermons. There's inductive, deductive, and exegetical. Now, inductive is when the, the preacher, he, he will start with some subpoints and it will reveal the main point. And then exegetical is when the preacher walks through the text, and deductive is when you start with the main point and then you follow with subpoints. Now, if you noticed, we've been preaching exegetically. I've right, been walking through the text, and now the reason is there's just so much here in Philippians. All right, and it's my personal favorite way to preach because it's a way, in a way, when you preach exegetically, it's like you're studying the text as you preach. And so we're going to walk through the text again today, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Again, the text says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full in full accord and of one mind. So if... 
Now, those two seemingly simple words are more important than you think. See, the the verses 1 and 2 here, it's kind of constructed like an if-then statement. See, Paul, he's essentially saying, if there is any love, if there is any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection or, or feeling, if there is any sympathy or compassion, then you will be of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. See, Paul is saying there cannot be one without the other. If we really are of the same mind, which the word here for being of the same mind has to do with your frame of mind, how you think, if we really think the same way, if we really love as we ought, then we will find comfort in love, we will participate in the Spirit, and we'll be affectionate and compassionate. Now, the verses following, verse 2, it kind of expounds on what exactly this means. So verse 3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, I don't want to overwhelm you with Greek, but I did pay a few thousand dollars to take Greek classes. So I'm going to mention a few Greek words. Now, the Greek word for selfish ambition, it's erytheia. And now, this is not just, I want something. Okay, this word, it communicates, I want something, therefore, I'm going to put other people down to get what I want. We actually see this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 17. That, that verse says, the former, remember these, these uh, the opponents of Paul, the former, these opponents proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, there's that word, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. See, the opponents that Paul faced, they they were selfish in the way they were willing to go as far as to afflict Paul to get what they want. And Paul clearly tells us we cannot do a single thing with this kind of selfish ambition. We should never put other people down to get what we want. And of course, he says, rather, in humility, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Now, humility has been misunderstood, right? Some people have taken it to extreme to mean, oh, I'm going to beat myself down. That's what humility is. No, that's not what humility is. A good quote comes from C.S. Lewis. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Now, notice that, that change of phrase there. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. In verse 3 here, it's in support of that. It says, count others more significant than yourselves. And our tendency is to count ourselves as the most significant, isn't it? Right? We think of what we want, what we need, what we have. We think of ourselves first. But counting others as more significant means thinking of others first. Verse 4 goes into more detail. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, having your own interests, now the word here translated for interest, it can mean stuff, your, your own matters. Having your own interests, stuff, or matters, that is not inherently wrong. Okay, you can have your own interest, stuff, and matters, but you have to also look to the interest of others. Having your own stuff is not wrong. But when your stuff, well, when the things you want, when the things you think you need come at the expense of others, when you value your possessions, yourself more highly than others, when that becomes a priority, yes, then you are stripping over a line. 
We ought to count others as more significant than ourselves. Counting others more significant means thinking of others first. Now, verses 5 through 11, it, it goes into how Jesus himself demonstrated this loving, this humble, this compassionate, this affectionate frame of mind. So verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, that kind of mind, a loving, a humble, a selfless, a a compassionate, an affectionate, a mind that, that feels something for somebody else, is yours in Christ Jesus. See, Paul is saying you cannot have this mind apart from him. To have this loving mind, this frame of mind, you need to have Jesus. Now, I know what some of you may think. Uh, you might be thinking, well, Aaron, I've met people who, who you know, they're pretty good people, but they didn't believe in God. Right? Now, I have a few issues with that statement. One, is anybody really good? Right? Just because we might be able to do good does not necessarily make us good. Two, Trying to find good and evil without a reference to a, a creator, the creator being the standard, is virtually impossible, right? If the creator is the standard of good, and if there is no standard, there is no such thing as good or evil. Three, the issue is not can people do good without believing in God. The issue should be can people do good without God? Now notice that. Can people do good without God? So if God is the standard of good, if he sets what it means to be good, then no, people cannot do good without him. Now, I know that might have been a little twisted and a little complicated, but my point is having this loving, this humble, this, this selfless, just compassionate frame of mind is only possible because Jesus is God. Continue on, verses 5 and 6. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Though he was in the form, though he was unequal, he didn't hold on to that equality. Now, I know this is kind of confusing, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the what we refer to as the Trinity or the Godhead. So God, a.k.a. Father, Son, Spirit, generally defined as three persons, one essence, or some people define it as three elements, one substance. Now, here's the thing with those definitions. They don't fully encapsulate who God is and how he operates. A good quote from Augustine or Augustine of Hippo, if you can fully grasp it, it is not God. If you can fully grasp it, it is not God. So yes, we have these definitions of who God is, but the reality is we cannot fully grasp God. And that's one thing as a Christian we got to get in our minds at some point. Okay, you got, you, you got to understand that you cannot fully understand God. But Jesus, on the other hand, even though he is God, though he knows what it means to be God, he did not consider it a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, I mentioned this several weeks ago. Jesus, he gave up a lot. Right? See, Jesus, he, he gave up some power he had as God. Practically all civilizations, whether they believed in God or a false God, viewed deity as someone to be served, but Jesus, he took on the form of of a servant. And now the word for form here, it's something interesting. Verse 6, it says 
He was in the form of God. Verse 7, he took on the form of a servant. Now, those two words there are the same word used for form. And now this word for form has to do with both uh, outside and inwardly. So Jesus, he literally both outwardly and inwardly became a servant. He gave up power he had as God. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus, Jesus. Names are important, aren't they? We think names are important, right? They, they identify whose family we are a part of. We like to think that names are a part of who we are, right? Aaron Patrick Hill, that's my full name. I could probably do without the Patrick, but that's my full name nonetheless. And sometimes we're even given names, right? BP, you know, one given name that I have. And if you don't know what that means, you can go ask TB. And if you don't know who TB is, you'll soon find out who TB is, right? Names are important. Jesus, Jesus, literally means Savior. Now, I think somebody who offers salvation to all the world surely deserves their name to be above every name. Yours, mine, no matter what name you have, Jesus' name is above all. Verses 10 and 11. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God, the Father. Every knee, not just earthly knees, I don't know what a heavenly knee would look like, but including heavenly beings, right? Every knee, whoever's in heaven, everybody on earth, everybody living, everybody who has since passed before he comes, will bow at his coming. See, this is a promise. The way it's phrased in the Greek, it is a promise. It is going to happen whether we like it or not. And it's going to be far better for you to bow at his name, to to confess that he is Lord right now than to wait until he returns. If you haven't already, you have that opportunity. You have an opportunity to submit to the Father, Son, and Spirit. You have an opportunity to submit to the Son and the cleansing He provides. You have an opportunity to submit to the Spirit received in baptism, the Spirit that changes who you are. And you have an opportunity to submit to the Father because thanks to the Son and the Spirit, you can. See, without the Son and the Spirit, there is, you can't really submit to the Father. And so if you want that, If you want to be cleansed, if you want to submit to the Father's will, you can come now. You can be immersed into baptism if you need anything. If you just need prayers, you can come as we stand and sing.